It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now, here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are Taking you home post-Valentine's Day on this Thursday, and I'm not Brett Rump. Derek Decker in for Brett Rump this afternoon with the Fetties going on, and most of our staff here at the station is rather occupied at the moment, but it's Derek Decker, producer Adam Lundy, Along with you here today, and we are live here from the Summit City, Texas, 46862, our Parkview Sports Medicine text line to chime in and give your opinion. And we've got lots of things to talk about today. Also, A-plus start on the music today. Just A-plus. Hey, that's I, I am partial to that song, but that's story for another day. Uh, if you hang around for some Caps games in the summer, you're more than likely to hear that. Most nights coming back from an inning break, but... Uh, uh, do want to get to lots of things today. We have an absolutely packed show, and, and we're going to start on a somber note, but I'm going to preview lots of other stuff that's going on uh, throughout the rest of the show. we got Dylan Sin coming up from the Journal-Gazette. He's going to talk PFW and uh, how the Dons didn't get it done last night, another close loss in Horizon League play. He's on his way to Mackey Arena tonight, too, to cover the Boilermakers against Minnesota. Tip-off for that game's at 8.30, and our pregame show starts at 7.30. The Boilermakers are uh, ready to go. The number two team in the nation looking to continue to roll. They are in firm command right now of the Big Ten Conference. And honestly, it's hard to see a path where they don't win the league at this point without a, a pretty epic collapse, given what Wisconsin has done over the last couple of weeks. But we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get later into the show. Also, in the second hour, we've got Eric Thornton coming up from Norwell, the head coach of the Norwell Girls, who will be playing in the Huntington North Semi-State on Saturday morning. It's a matchup of the number one and number two teams in Class 3A in an Elite Eight game. Semi-state, semifinals, 10 a.m. You can also hear that game right here on The Fan, Norwell and Hamilton Heights. Again, tip-off is at 10 in the pregame with Kalo Hatch. will start around 945. And then also in the second hour, as always on Thursdays, we've got Eric Dukevich from Parkview Sports Medicine that will join the show as well. Talk some high school hoops. Also, the other games that are going on in the area in girls' semi-state, including Homestead. They are up at LaPorte this weekend. And then Bishop Lewers, who is down in a very familiar part of the state at Logansport. That is a, an awesome place to watch a game uh, at the Berry Bowl. And so looking forward to seeing what they can do. All three teams, by the way, play in that first time slot. Homestead's at 11 a.m. because they're on Central Time. But uh, the other two are at 10 a.m. And again, we'll have Norwell and Hamilton Heights here on the fan. So that's a quick preview of what's going on throughout the day. But I do want to get started, and we have to talk about it. And I, I hate being the fill-in guy that uh, brings up sad stuff, but it just has to be talked about it. It is the biggest news story that has captivated not only the sports world, but also just the world in the last day. And that is what happened in Kansas City yesterday. And let me also just preface this by saying... 
I'm not going to give an argument or a political position on, you know, what things can be done. You can find that plenty of other places, I promise. Every talking head in sports has been talking about it the last couple of days, uh, the last day and a half, about, hey, you know, the the legislature should do this about whatever. That's not what I'm here to do. Point is, just recapping the facts, where things are at right now, and also get reaction from a, a local guy who played in the Super Bowl um we'll just kind of start with if you've been living under a rock the last day obviously a shooting took place yesterday at the end of the Chiefs celebration at their super bowl parade and 22 people were injured one was killed and unfortunately that was a uh, radio personality in kansas city and one that certainly has uh, a background of being on air lisa lopez who Again, had a, a tremendous career and just a, a really tough loss. But 22 people, half of those were under eight, age 16. And uh, you had this shooting take place. What's come out this afternoon, this is a little bit new information uh, versus what you might have heard yesterday. It does appear like it was uh, an argument between several different people that started this shot. So it doesn't necessarily at this point look like it was a targeted thing. It just there was a an altercation and it broke out and then a bunch of people obviously were in the line of fire and it created a massive uh terrible situation I mean, we're talking about catastrophic stuff unfortunately this is not the first time we've had this happen at the end of uh championship parades in the last year last couple of years and i i just want to point out that again this is a a really tough thing to see and Adam, get ready to queue up the uh, the audio from Drew Tranquil. Drew Tranquil had to weigh in here. He did an interview with Glenn Marini of Wayne TV about this whole situation. And um, again, just just thoughts and prayers going out to everybody impacted in Kansas City. It is so sad to see a situation like that come to the scene that we saw on Wednesday afternoon. And it, again, Unfortunately, this is becoming more and more commonplace, you know, especially in the sports world. It's where we go to escape this stuff, right? Um, it, it's why you you folks that are listening to the program, it's why me and Adam, it's like we all are invested in sports because, is at least to some degree, it is an escape from the everyday stuff, the real life stuff. And you know, we get sit here, we get paid to talk about sports, and that's awesome. Um, unfortunately, sometimes the worlds collide a little bit and the escape can, you know, fail. And that, that's what's happened, um, a number of different times in the past several years. Again, just a, a really tough situation. Uh, Drew Tranquil, former Carroll linebacker and, uh, Chiefs linebacker weighed in on the situation recently with Wayne TV. Yeah, to have something just heinous and horrible happen like that, um, at the end of the day is, is so tragic and, um, man, my heart goes out to that reporter who, um, unfortunately lost her life. And I think she has two kids and, you know, as a parent of, uh, of kids, you just think about your kids, you know, not having their parent come home <clears throat> and, um, all the other victims, just horrible. Um, and really thankful for all the first responders and, you know, law enforcement, when there's a crowd of over a million people, um, for them to respond in the way that they did and, and get the situation under control and get everybody evacuated and, uh, you know, the medical people taking care of uh, of the victims the way that they did um, was, man, just super special and um, really grateful for for everybody involved. And, um, you know, I'm praying for for everybody involved. It was it was uh, it was a really hard uh, end of the day.
Again, that's former Carroll linebacker Drew Tranquil, also played in the Super Bowl and is a Super Bowl champion uh, with the Chiefs in the most-watched telecast in TV history, by the way, uh, last weekend. And, you know, it, the game just takes such a background, and it, it's so sad and uh, and really tragic that the the win for the Chiefs, once again, was marred by what happened yesterday afternoon. But just, again, we have to go through the facts. That's, in, in my opinion, it is a requirement for what we are talking about. It's something that we have to do. And I promise the rest of the show is going to be a little more upbeat. We won't talk about it again. But at the start, it's the most important thing going on right now. It is real-world stuff. It is really sad. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Um, you know, again, hope that this is something that starts to to fade away. You know, once we get toward the next couple of years here, you know, there was some thought that maybe these would go down after COVID. Um, you know, that threw a wrench into things. And again, I'm not going to throw out anything as far as uh, as politics or suggestions on how to fix it. But obviously, everybody wants this to to stop happening. And, and that's the most important thing. When we come back. On a much lighter note, we're going to have Adam's top headlines, and then we're going to talk to Dylan Sin of the Journal-Gazette. That's coming up straight ahead. You're listening to the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Well, I'm not Brett Rump, but it is the Sports Rush. Derek Decker in for Brett today with producer Adam, and so glad you're along with us today. And I promise again, uh, you know, what I said going to the break, we're going to be happy now the rest of the time. So the rest of the program, we've got plenty of stuff to talk about. And to set us up for that, Adam's got today's top sports headlines. All right, thanks, Derek. Getting in today's top headlines, the Bears today released two of their longest-tenured players in offensive lineman Cody Whitehair and safety Eddie Jackson. Whitehair appeared in 124 games with 118 starts over eight seasons with the Bears, and Jackson started all 100 games he played in seven seasons with Chicago. This will save the Bears about $21 million next season, and they now have the third-most cap space in the NFL with a total of $68.4 million. Detroit Pistons center Isaiah Stewart was arrested last night for assault for punching Phoenix Sun center Drew Eubanks at the arena hours before the teams even played. Oof. Phoenix police said Stewart was issued a citation and released. Eubanks said before the game that an argument started and they were chest to chest before Stewart threw the punch. This continues Isaiah Stewart's habit of getting into altercations in tunnels in arenas. <laughs> <laughs> Doing a quick Tiger Woods check here at the Genesis Invitational. Tiger Woods currently sits at even par through the first 14 holes of the first round. Taking a look at the leaderboard, it's Patrick Cantley in first, who is under eight through 15 rounds. And brand new this year, the Fort Wayne Tin Caps are hosting the pregame concert series featuring live music on Parkview Field's Centerfield Amphitheater before select Thirsty Thursday home games. From May through August, seven local bands will entertain fans as the ballpark's gates open at 6.05, leading up to the first pitch an hour later. So it sounds like there'll be some fun in the sun out at Tin Caps games on Thursday Thursdays. Those are your taste top stories, Derek. All right. Thanks so much, Adam. And you're absolutely right as far as the Tin Caps bunch. Um, remember when uh, at the end of last season, the chat kind of came through with the, the folks in the office about what we should do about that. It happened once, and there was awesome fan feedback. Um you know, the, it just the atmosphere was really cool out in center field, getting to yeah. experience that. I, I really tried to, at the end of my time with the Tin Caps last season, I really tried hard before every game to take a walk around the concourse 
about an hour before just to soak everything in. You know, as people are coming into the ballpark, get the sights and smells and what's the atmosphere like tonight and what's the weather like. You know, you feel the wind when you're walking around, all that stuff. Um, but it was really cool to, to see that when that happened. And it was it was uh, an awesome thing that the, the Tingaps added last year. So excited to see that continue. Hey, you can sign up for breaking sports news, interact with our shows. Just text the word FAN to 46862, and you can be a part of the conversation today. Also, you can stream us at 1380thefan.com or on the, uh, the free 1380thefan app or on your smart speaker. You can catch us in multiple different ways. Here on the fan, you are listening to the Sports Rush. Derek Decker is in for Brett Rump here today. And coming up in a moment, we're going to talk with Dylan Sin of the Journal Gazette. And we're going to talk to him about multiple different things. But we're going to start with the Dons. And last night, a close loss again to Oakland in a game that the Dons were right in the mix in in the last five minutes. Certainly had their chances to win this game, but a key seven-point run right toward the end put Oakland in front and gave them the win. 71-63 was the final last night at the Coliseum as uh, Oakland got the victory. The Dons, unfortunately, have continued to slide here eight out of their last 11 contests. And uh, to talk more about that, we bring in now Dylan Sin from the Journal Gazette. Dylan, thanks a lot for hopping on. How are you? I'm glad to do it, Derek. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Uh, hey, let's start. We're going to talk about Purdue in a little bit, but let's start with the Dons last night. Um, you know, you, ha- you had the coverage and a game that was close. Obviously, that's been the storyline all season. The Dons cannot finish off close games. Uh, they lose 71-63. to They've got that big point differential in conference play, and yet they fall under 500. How did things happen last night, and what did things look like to you? I mean, they, they, were, they struggled early on. They, I, I thought Oakland played really well defensively in that first half, held PFW a 32% shooting. And then I think in the second half, PFW for a while there just really got aggressive going to the rim and created opportunities there. Um, they went on a 21-2 run that kind of turned the game around. They took the lead um, after being down by 15. Um, and it was some of the best basketball they've played all year. I think uh, Coach Kaufman said after the game, basically, we're the best team in the league when we play like that. And they did, and they had to leave with five minutes left, and then it just kind of went away, and they, they, they didn't play like that down the stretch. And I think that's kind of been the story of this team, is that they are capable of being the best team in the Horizon League. I think they have that potential on the roster. They just haven't put it all together uh, for enough games yet. And I think there's still a chance that they figure it out here late in the season and go on a run, but it's been tough. All eight of their losses in conference play have been by eight points or fewer. Yeah, it's it's been so interesting to watch. Obviously, uh, Rashid Bellow last night goes for 15 points, shoots at seven of 10 from the field. But you know, he kind of seemed frustrated looking through a couple of his quotes. Uh, you know, understandably so at this point in the season. Is that the same vibe that you got from what he said post game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I straight up asked him that. I said, "Is this? Does it get frustrating to keep losing games like this?" And he said, "Yes. We have to execute better late in the game. There's really no way around it, and they haven't done it." as well as the injury. Now, they've won some close games. They, they beat uh, Youngstown State by four a couple of weeks ago, and Youngstown State is one of the best teams in the conference. But they need to do it more consistently. Um, and that's what Kaufman said, is that there's not really a single flaw on this team that you can point to in late-game situations. They, they, there's not anything that tells you, hey, they should struggle because they turn the ball over too much. They don't shoot their free throws, or, they, or they, their defense isn't good enough. They're good at all of those things. First, it's a matter of putting them together in the final four minutes of the game. 
Well, the Dons are, you know, really in the home stretch of the season. It's kind of hard to believe we get to this point in the year every year. And there are uh, lots of winnable games left. The final five down the stretch, you know, do, do you feel like there's an opportunity here for the Dons to kind of get hot going into the Rising League tournament? I absolutely do. I thought that for most of the season. They, they lost those four games in a row or those five games in a row after the 4-0 starting conference play. And, and even through that, I thought this team can play. There, there's really no reason they can't be near the top of the league. And now with five games left, you're really fighting. You probably have to win at least four of those five or maybe or maybe all five in order to have a chance at those one of those first-round buys in the Horizon League tournament. So... That's, that's got to be the goal, is, is, is finishing this season hot and then go in the tournament and see if you can go on a run and, and, and do something that no PFW team has ever done before. That's right, and it starts with Detroit Mercy, a little road trip uh, against the Titans, who got their first win of the season last night against IUPUI. And uh, we'll actually talk more about that later in the show because there was a single fan who stormed the court last night uh, in Detroit. All right, let's shift gears a little bit here and talk about the Boilermakers. Dylan, you're headed to Mackey Arena tonight. And uh, they've got the Golden Gophers. This is a team that, you know, when we talk about the elites in college basketball, the way it looks to me, you know, watching teams and obviously everything can change in the tournament. Everything can change in the last month of the season. But Purdue and UConn seem to be separating themselves from the rest of the pack. And though Purdue has not been tested a ton in the last couple of weeks in conference play, they are absolutely rolling right now. And offensively, they look like a borderline unstoppable team. Right, and that's the thing is, yeah, they haven't been tested in the last couple of weeks. I mean, they did beat Wisconsin on the road, but generally speaking, they're when they're not being tested, they're running teams into the ground. Right? They like if you're not if you're a, a really good team and you're playing teams that are not very good, the expectation is that you blow them out. Right? Don't play with your food. Get them down early and just never let and never let them off the mat. And Purdue has done that for the most part. When they play teams that are not on their level. They just kind of destroy them, and that's what you want to see, right? Um, and, and so I think that that's, they, they, they haven't really slipped in terms of their performance. Now, that's what I wrote about in my kind of preview of the game today, is that the last two seasons, this is about the time, kind of the first or second week of February, where you started to see significant slippage in their play because they weren't shooting the three-pointer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, last, last year was mostly a lot of it because, because Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer um, – kind of hit the freshman wall around this time. Um, the year before, it was just kind of a, a team-wide shooting thing where they didn't shoot as well as they did early in the year. And so now you start to see, okay, A, is that going to happen again? And we haven't seen a ton of signs of it yet, although it didn't shoot well to start against Indiana. Um, and then if that does happen, can you find other ways to win? I think they're better equipped to handle a slump like that this year, but obviously you don't want it to happen at all if you yeah, for sure. I mean, this team is shooting right at 40% from three. And in Ken Palm, in terms of efficiency, number two in the country on offense, again, just all the pieces that they've got. Um, and, and the other things that's evolved over the last couple of weeks here, Dylan, is Wisconsin's complete tanking. And so it's opened up the race, and, and Purdue has such a clear path to the Big Ten championship in the regular season now. It's kind of hard to imagine at this point in the season that they don't win without a pretty significant collapse. Right, because they already have uh, they have a two and a half game lead with seven games to play, and the teams that are chasing them, the two closest ones, are Wisconsin and Illinois, and they already have a win over both of those teams. Now they have to play them both again down the stretch. And they also have to play Michigan State, but beyond that, the other four are against teams that are relatively lower in the standings. 
So Purdue might be able to, to uh, win all four of those games, and then those games against Illinois, Michigan State, and Wisconsin would not even matter. They'd be able to basically clinch the thing at 15-2 and, 15 and two and go into those games feeling pretty good. So uh, they, I, I would be shocked if they don't win the conference, and it would take kind of a collapse down the stretch like they had in February last year when they lost four out of six games. Yeah, and it's just kind of mind-boggling to think that they could clinch before March even starts. They could clinch the league in February. That's just almost impossible to believe in modern-day Big Ten. Hey, Dylan, I asked uh, when I talked to Rob Blackman last a couple of weeks ago, and I, I don't remember which game it was after, but it was... Uh, a few games ago, and I asked him, you know, what's the biggest thing right now for this Purdue team? Obviously, there's lots of thought from last season and how how stuff ended. Even the last five years, you could bring together most of the the five years and say, hey, there have been some really disappointing losses for Purdue in the tournament. Um, what is the biggest weakness right now for this Boilermaker team? Because, again, as we've talked about, these wins that they've had the last month, month and a half, have just been absolutely dominant, save for that Nebraska loss on the road. Yeah, I, I do think that the weakness that they have, and it's the weakness that they had last year as well, it's just not quite as acute, is that they are they are vulnerable to an opposing guard just kind of losing his mind and taking over the game. And that's what's, that's what's happened in their two losses this year, is that Boo Booey for Northwestern mm-hmm. and then Kasich Tominaga for Nebraska just kind of took over and said, we are going to shoot our team to a victory in this game. And, and Boo Booey almost did it again at Mackey Arena when Purdue uh, looked like they were going to lose that game at home to Northwestern, and then they came back and won it. But Boo Booey made some spectacular shots in that game. And the thing is, that's not really a weakness per se. Like, almost every team in the country is vulnerable to that type of thing. Right. Like, There's going to be some individual performers who go out there and, and shoot the lights out and beat your team. And, and that's not really a weakness, but it's also not a guarantee Purdue is not going to see something like that in the tournament. It's more likely than not that they are. So it's a question of if you see a guard in the tournament who goes off for 30, how do you counteract? How do you limit them to 30 instead of 40? How do you make sure that every shot is tough? How do you make sure that you're getting what you need on the offensive end to counteract it? And those are the questions. If Purdue has a guy on the other side of the floor who is taking over the game, can they settle themselves and can they go win it anyway? And they and they did that against Northwestern at Mackey, and now, this, now you have to go do it in the tournament. I think that they're better equipped to do that this year, but it's only time will tell. That's why the, the tournament is, is so interesting every year. All right. Well, we talked about the big picture stuff again tonight. Minnesota at home, 830 tip off. Uh, Dylan, what are the keys in this game? Um, how does Purdue just try and make sure they don't, uh, you know, experience disaster tonight at Mackey? But again, as we mentioned, even though this loss could be crushing in terms of, you know, metrics maybe, but like in, in the Big Ten, in the grand scheme of things, even if they lose tonight, not that big a deal. But how do they avoid, uh, avoid disaster here tonight? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that um, Minnesota has a guy in Dawson Garcia. Well, they might have a guy in Dawson Garcia. Uh, who is very, uh, who is able to kind of play both ways as a big man. He can post up against, against smaller guys and he can go pull larger players to the three point line and shoot over the top of them. And so Purdue is going to have to balance. Are they going to guard him with Zach Eady or are they going to guard him with Trey Kaufman Wren? And I think Dawson Garcia can bother both of them. He can bother Kaufman Wren with his size. He can bother Eady with his ability to stretch the floor. So, um, he's a bad matchup for just about anyone. But it's a question for Purdue of uh, making sure that he doesn't take over the game if he does play. Now, he missed the second half of their last game with an injury, 
so it's kind of questionable whether he's going to play. But uh, if he does, he he can create kind of a mismatch for them. And so I think that that is going to be one of the keys, is not letting him take over the game and kind of dictate what Purdue wants to do defensively, Um, and then making sure you take advantage of him on the offensive end. And I think that's going to be the key for them. Dylan Sin of the Journal-Gazette. Hey, before you go, how can folks follow your coverage tonight? Sure. I will be uh, tweeting throughout the game at Dylan Sin on on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. And then, of course, I will have full coverage of uh, the entire game on journalgazette.net. So uh, check that out uh, late tonight and early tomorrow morning. Sounds good. Dylan, always appreciate the time. Be safe and uh, look forward to your coverage throughout the game tonight and into tomorrow. And look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely, Derek. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You bet. That's Dylan Sin from the Journal-Gazette on our phone line. And, and Adam, we were talking to Dylan about lots of things there, uh, mainly the Dons and Purdue. Um, but I, I just think, you know, we were we were kind of discussing it. And obviously you've been around and you understand what's going on in the Big Ten. You are clearly, if you live in the Midwest, you understand what's happening in the Big Ten. I cannot, th- and granted, there have been a few super teams that have gone through, and, and I'm not that old, um, I, I've been alive for almost a quarter century. So, and the old joke is, you know, I was born in 1999, three days before the turn <laughs> of the century. So, you know, I, I, I claim myself as a nineties kid. Not really. Anyway, um, I cannot think of a time legitimately, at least in this modern format of 20 big 10 games, when we've got a team here that has the potential to just absolutely pull away. And granted, Purdue's got a National Player of the Year, but there have been National Players of the Year candidates, uh, you know, that level of players on teams in the past. But Purdue's dominance, just like what Dylan was saying in terms of how they've been able to deal with teams that are clearly not on their level, not messing around. um, You know, in the last couple of weeks, the only team that, in my opinion, is a serious step below Purdue um, that they've kind of messed around with is Rutgers. They just didn't shoot it well in that game, didn't didn't play particularly well. That is an almost impossible place to win. Obviously, Purdue's had a house of horrors there. But I cannot recall the last time, um, at least consistently, that we've had a team do this and have a potential to lock this thing up by February. Yeah, it's been quite the impressive season for Purdue, and I think we saw, you know, an impressive season last season. But it's it's to Matt Painter and the and the overall team's credit, they've just taken another step uh, from even higher than last season. And uh, now they just really the the really thing only left for them to do is to prove it in another uh, postseason here and hopefully get to a Final Four. That's right. I mean, that that's the last thing not only for Matt Painter's legacy, but just for the the brand perception of Purdue basketball nationally, and, and not to say that they're not on the map now, because they certainly are. Obviously, <laughs> like everybody knows what Purdue is. Uh, everybody knows what they're capable of. Uh, I, I think they were national championship capable last season. Obviously, things went south in a tournament game, but you know who knows what happens in terms of the matchups last season if they win that first round game. You know, the matchups from there, at least for the next couple of games, were pretty favorable. So. You know, stuff happens. People get upset, and it has happened, unfortunately, for Purdue more often to teams that they really have no business losing to in the last few years. I don't think that's necessarily indicative, though, of Matt Painter's tenure or what they've built. Um, you know, some of all those old things get thrown around, right? Well, it's the officiating it changes in the tournament, or well, they play such a, uh, a non-modern style, and nobody can win with a big in the tournament anymore. And that's just a bunch of hogwash. Like you, teams win with bigs. Teams of the NBA win with bigs. So for all these people that are trying to say, hey, you got to have five guards, Nate Oates style, and let's just 
run it out there and take 55 threes a game. You don't have to win that way. And I don't know. I, I mean, it can work for teams, but I'm not saying that that's just specifically, hey, we're going to call that modern basketball and say, hey, you you are the picture of what we're trying to accomplish. It doesn't need to be that way for every team. Matt Painter knows what he wants. He gets what he wants in terms of his recruiting style and the players that he develops in his system. I mean, we, we, we have talked about these subjects and problems ad nauseum throughout the season. We'll continue to do it, especially if Purdue has a, another disappointing flame out in the NCAA tournament. But I, I think this team is more well-equipped than any team in the in the past 20 years for Purdue to win a national championship. There is no question about it. And there's just there's no way in denying that with what they are right now. Now, there are still uh, seven games left in the regular season. Who knows? And it's also worth noting that they could have a key injury. Like what happens if Lance Jones goes out? I mean, in my opinion, he's been in lots of folks opinion. He's been kind of the X factor to this team this year, and he's taken them to new levels. Well, obviously, you know, you want to talk about Edie, what happens if he has an injury, but even a guy like Lawyer, who plays such an important role off the ball, or Braden Smith, who's blossomed into a elite-level point guard in college basketball. So, like, if any of those guys go down, then what's the next step? How do they respond? You never know. You can never predict these things. But the way it looks right now, and this is that's a great that uh, the great part about the tournament is, hey, we're still a month away, and we get to talk about it. But right now, a month away from the start of March Madness, Purdue, in my opinion, even though UConn is the defending champs, and I think UConn is good enough to win it all again, in my opinion, Purdue is the clear-cut favorite as it stands right now. Hey, we got to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a host of things. We're going to keep talking about hoops because I like basketball. Chris Holtman is gone at Ohio State, okay? Who's next? We're going to talk about potential candidates to replace him. We're also going to talk about a local team at the NAIA level that suffered their first loss. And then the three-point shooting matchup that the NBA and the WNBA really wants to see, Sabria Ionescu against Steph Curry. That's coming up soon. During All-Star Weekend in Indy, that is all straight ahead. You're listening to the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Thursday afternoon here on the Sports Rush in the Summit City. Derek Decker in for Brett Rump, our producer, Adam Lundy. We're holding down the fort today, and it's uh, kind of a ghost town around here. The Fetties are going on, and I don't know. when I Like, I pulled into the parking lot today before (laughs) I came in the back door, and I'm like... Man, did I, like, miss the apocalypse here because <laughs> there's nobody here. The station vehicles are over in the corner of the parking lot like usual, and sure. then it's, like, your car, and now it's my car, <laughs> and that is it. And and we the lights are off in here. We are literally the only two people in the building right yeah, now. Yeah, hold on. If we're quiet for a second here, I think... <laughs> yeah, yeah no just you and me here today my friend yeah it's like i don't know what we're gonna do if if crap starts hitting the fan like it's windy out like what happens something <laughs> blows through the window or something what can we do um but yeah we're holding it down in here and glad that uh you're putting up with me for the next hour and 15 minutes here on the sports rush and looking forward to uh what happens in the next hour, because we've got Eric Thornton from Norwell, also ready to join the show, and Eric Dutkevich, because it's Thursday, for Parkview Sports Medicine. We're going to talk to him about high school hoops. So, definitely high school basketball heavy in the second hour, but we're also mixing in a few other things, too. Odds and ends to clean up. But right now, we continue with our college basketball talk, and it begins with Chris Holtman. And, of course, he got canned yesterday. And, honestly, and Adam, I don't know your reaction here, but to me... Pretty shocking that it happened at this point in the season, right? Right. I mean, if you're going to move on for him, like w- when uh, when Mark Turgeon got fired from Maryland a couple of years ago and they brought in Kevin Willard and all that, 
Like, I think that happened in, like, late December, like, right before conference play. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to me now that you've got seven seven games left, six games, whatever it is, in the regular season. Like, if you're going to fire him, I get it, and fire him at the end of the year, I don't know. And, and I'm not I'm not saying it looks bad for Ohio State or anything. I mean, this is we, – we all knew it was building to this point, right? It, it was kind of a foregone conclusion. Um, <laughs> one has to wonder a little bit if – the final nail in the coffin may have been the giant blown lead against Indiana. Um, that definitely could have had an impact. You know, I'm not saying it was like the the <laughs> thing that necessarily pushed it over, but probably was a part of the equation. Um, but you know, they're they're changing administration and stuff there, so I think it was pretty uh, reasonable to expect that he was going to be done at the end of the season. But Ohio State really struggling. They're limping along. This is a team that just has not been good. And it's too bad, too, because they had such a promising start. I mean, going into the first matchup with Indiana back on January the 6th, okay, they had, let's see, 8, 10. They were 12-2 and two going into that game in Bloomington on a Saturday night. Good atmosphere. Indiana pulls out a win. Let's, like, let's reimagine the season for a moment, okay? <laughs> because these two teams have both completely fallen off a cliff since then. Indiana, we knew was flawed before that game, and you're thinking, uh, I don't know the the teams that they've played that are good. They've gotten blown out by, but they only had they were uh, they were ten and four coming into that game, and they were two and one in conference play. They had just come off a game where they had gotten absolutely torched on the road at Nebraska. So you come back home and you're thinking, okay, you get a win here. This should be a quad one win eventually later in the year because you're thinking the Buckeyes are rolling and all that. And uh, since that time, Indiana has lost seven out of ten. Okay, and since that game, Ohio State has lost eight out of ten. So <laughs> it has just been completely disastrous for uh, both teams, and yeah, kind of kind of a sad turn of events for both guys. And I I don't know, and this is not going to be the Mike Woodson conversation. We can have that later in the year. Is he going to get canned? I think the seat's warm, and I'll just I'll just point out from the folks that. I, I have been around the last few weeks. I will just say that there's probably at least enough money to start getting things interesting in Bloomington if things completely continue to fall off the the edge of the roof at the end of this season for IU. But that's uh, not what the segment's about. It's about Chris Holtman. And what are the Buckeyes going to do now? Because, of course, we've got plenty of names out there, and one of them is probably going to be a little frustrating to Indiana fans, especially if this happens Dusty May is one serious candidate at Ohio State that they could look at. Now, again, we're so early in the process here. A lot of this is not going to take off till the end of the season. No, they're going to do what they're going to do and just try to make it through the end of the year. Um, and, you know, whatever whatever it is. This is probably not even a team that has an NIT resume at this point. I They just don't have that many great wins. I mean, their best win, they, they do have the Alabama win, and that's literally the only good win they have all year. Um, UCLA has been a mess Minnesota is their next best win outside of a double overtime home win against Maryland. I mean, there's just nothing to hang your hat on for Ohio State. Now, their their metrics are okay. I mean, they're 30, they're 68th in Ken Palm. So it's not that bad. That could at least be fringe NIT. But in terms of like net rankings and, and how the NCAA metrics see them, it's really not good. So I think you can write off any postseason hope for Ohio State, including the NIT at this point. But Dusty May has to be in the mix. He is the, in my opinion, the hottest commodity on the market from a mid-major. He's probably the youngest hottest commodity on the market, too. He's only 47, right? Everybody in Indiana now knows what Dusty May is all about because they, they, they burst onto the scene last year. They make the tournament run, and he does have the Indiana ties, the former manager owner, Bob Knight. Is that something that could 
be dealt with. Now, after they went to the Final Four last year, Dusty signed a 10-year deal okay, with the Owls, but every Big Ten school has plenty of cash to buy that out on their own if they'd like. So there's no question that Dusty is still on the market. If you think that he is trying to sign his life away at Florida Atlantic, don't be silly. Now, I'm not saying he's going to leave at the end of this season. Uh, clearly, FAU's had another solid year. I don't know if they're necessarily Final Four quality. They're kind of a fringe top 25 team in an American. That's a really weird conference this year, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it, once we get closer to March, I'll definitely have to start talking about that because I uh, I just found out the other day that I'm filling in for almost an entire week on uh, on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, and it is during the Big Ten tournament week. It's like conference tournament week of college basketball. That is like the next best thing to heaven next to me. Like that is it for me. That week, this time of the year is it for me as like a fan of just watching stuff on TV. Like I'm a baseball guy. I have a baseball bent, but college basketball is the most entertaining sport on TV and the most entertaining sport with the most parody to track and follow. And it's not even close. Okay. Even with the super teams out there like UConn and Purdue this year, like those teams are obviously vulnerable. As we learn every single year in the tournament, it's very rare to see even two or three uh, number one seeds reach it all the way to the final four. It, it's just, it's so hard to do it. So Dusty May is one option. Um, obviously, he's got plenty of experience at mid-majors. Uh, he did have the stint at Florida, not as a head coach, but he was on staff there. And then also at La Tech and UAB. So he spent most of his time as a professional down in the South. And so that is obviously one option. Another one that comes through <laughs> also might be connected to Indiana fans. Sean Miller of Xavier. Of course, that's the brother of Archie. How have things gone there? Of course, he had the scandal in 2021 uh, in Arizona, but he's back now. And uh, I don't know. A lot of folks still think he is one of the best coaches in the game. Now, his results haven't been great this year. Um, but when he was first at Xavier, his run was awesome. And then they bring him back. And uh, I don't know. He's had some some good teams. They still have had kind of a low ceiling. And that's a place where Xavier's had some really good teams over the years. Um, it is a group that has definitely had some tradition. They're in a town that Cincinnati was really good with Mick Cronin when he was there. So I don't know. I, I think it's a, a good program. It's a guy you certainly want to take a look at. But you're also carrying some serious baggage there. I mean, there was lots and lots and lots of scandal and violations when he was at Arizona. There were plenty of accusations of Archie when he was at Indiana. Stuff never really came to light, um, and we're honestly past that point now, and you know, everybody's kind of turned the page, but <laughs> there were a million rumors of when Archie was in Indiana that things weren't clean either, so that's the other point of that. Greg McDermott's been on the market, too, from Creighton. Nate Oates is out there. Would Nate Oates leave a job like Alabama to come play that style in the Big Ten? That would be a super interesting test case, right? Because Iowa's the only thing that's close to that, that plays a bit of an open style. They shoot a lot of threes. But Iowa still, even though they have a, a good, cohesive offense with Fran McCaffrey and He's got the most probably, quote-unquote, modern, if you want to call it that, offense in the Big Ten, that motion offense that generates shots all the time. I, I don't know. I, I think him in the Big Ten trying to turn Ohio State into the Nate Oates system with putting 55 shots up from three every game could be could just be enough to set the world on fire. Like, that is it. That, that could torch the Big Ten. It could either completely fall apart and flame out 
and probably more likely than not, in my opinion, just just given where the current state of the Big Ten is, or in a positive world, he moves the Big Ten into a completely new age of basketball. So he turns the page on the back-to-the-basket, big style of 90s basketball that most of the teams in the league are still trying to play, and that's why nobody ever makes it to the Final Four. Um, so that's an option, and then McCronin is also on this list that I was kind of taking a look at, and uh, things have really not gone well at UCLA. And he also said preseason he was ticked about the money or the lack of money really from the NIL front that they got. He feels like I, I wouldn't say this is necessarily shifting blame and saying like, well, it's not really none of this is our fault. I don't think he's really like that. It's just he's got a legitimate gripe in that they are a program that is literally the most storied program in college basketball. Now, they don't have the fan interest or fan support that they used to. They just do not have, obviously, there's so much other things, you know, so many other things going on in the West Coast, and the Pac-12 has had attendance problems and all that, so UCLA is not the only one there. But even even when they're really good, you're talking about, like, even if they've got a top five or top ten team, it's a three-fourths full place. Like, it's just not the same as it is... Uh, in the Big Ten, definitely, in, in terms of basketball. Like, you've got so many great venues in the Big Ten. And I am a little bit of a Big Ten homer. That's just kind of how I operate. But I don't know. He he could be a good fit at Ohio State. I think Mick is legitimate. Now, Ohio State would have to pay him, okay? They'd have to belly up some serious dollars for Mick or Sean. No question about it. Um, But I think those are some legitimate candidates for Ohio State. And I, I'm looking forward to tracking that. It's a program that, with the right person in charge... Just like when Thad Mata was in charge, that is a beast waiting to happen. Now, Chris took them to some decent heights. He had some good success at him. Um, but in your mind, has Ohio State been legitimately relevant the last five, six years? In the basketball front, that's going to be a no for me. Honestly, they've just been kind of middle of the pack. Sometimes they've been a team that you want to look out for. Like, you know, they, they're, they've always been a team that I think that the top of the Big Ten, the, those teams kind of look out for Ohio State because mm-hmm. they know that they can always be decent. Right. But they've never been ground shakers. They've never been the movers in the Big Ten, at least for the past couple seasons. One other name I'm going to throw your way, Wes Miller, the head coach yeah. of Cincinnati. He's been thrown out there as well, and he does have some Ohio ties already being in Cincinnati. Yeah, I do wonder how much, like, we're in the initial stages here, okay? Like, I, I go back to the Indiana football coaching search and tracking that, and just like many coaching searches at big universities, mm-hmm. okay? We have this stage where right now we're just in spitballing yeah. names against the wall and seeing if there's any real traction. And then we get to a next stage, it's like, okay, sometimes it takes days or weeks Especially when you fire a guy midseason, it might be a little bit longer to say, okay, we know that they've made contact with these people. Or we know that this guy's gotten an interview. Or at least there's rumors that this guy's gotten an interview. So maybe they're legitimately in the mix. And then we get down to a couple candidates at the end and then eventually figure it out. But um, we're still at a very initial stages of this thing. And uh, Chris Holtman is a guy that will get another job. There is no question about it. He is a man that has some serious high caliber uh, by the way, uh, uh, high character, I should say, not high caliber, although he's a high caliber <laughs> coach. Um, local ties, too, hanging out down at Taylor University uh, in Upland. So he's definitely a guy that has Indiana roots. He's a guy that has a lot of character, a lot of leadership qualities that a lot of places want. I don't know if it's going to be at a big time level. Maybe he has to go coach in a mid-major for a while. Maybe he'll go coach at a good mid-major and take over a program and, and make them good and, and you know go make some NCAA tournament runs. I don't know. I don't know what's in the cards for him, but I think he's a quality coach. He's still pretty young. Ohio State really took a chance on him, and they had some great years. They had a couple of top ten seasons 
when he was there. Uh, they had a couple of runs in the tournament that were almost good, but you know, just like any true Big Ten team, they flamed out before anything serious could happen. Um, the deepest they ever made it at Ohio State. Okay, this is eight years. They never made it to the second weekend. They had some really good teams. That includes, by the way, unfortunately for them, one of their best teams was in 2020 when there was no tournament. Okay, They were uh, projected 5C that year. But then they got upset in 2021. They lost in 2022 in the second round. And they also lost in 2018 in the second round when they had a, a really strong team, in my opinion. So, unfortunately, no big tournament success. But, again, that's on brand for Big Ten teams. So I'm interested to see what happens with Chris Holtman. He is a guy, again, in my opinion, that will have plenty of opportunities for other jobs and we'll be interested to see where he uh, where he lands. Hey, we've got to take another break. When we come back, though, we've got still more college basketball talk. We're going to slip in a little NFL action for you. I've got to do a little bit bragging of myself because I uh, maybe just, in fact, this afternoon, as a matter of fact, cashed in on a few bets that succeeded during the uh, Super Bowl and appreciate that. I'm not a, I like, I will say this publicly to anybody who asks, and you didn't ask, but I'm I'm saying it. I uh, I do not trust myself with like FanDuel or DraftKings. Like I can't do it on my phone. But every now and then, for like big games, Super Bowl, whatever, I will go someplace where you can physically place a bet. And there's not that many places around Fort Wayne, but go somewhere where you can physically place a bet place a bet, and uh, hopefully cash in. The last two years, by the way, last year I was living in Kansas, but two years in a row I have had massive success in the Super Bowl. We'll talk more about that, talk about what the Niners are doing with their defensive coordinator, more college basketball, high school hoops, lots of that in the second hour, too. That's all coming up. Hey, just remember our Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. Become a part of the conversation today. Derek Decker in for Brett Rump with producer Adam Lundy. You're listening to the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.